0: As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah Amma ba Brothers and sisters in Islam, welcome to another discussion Organised by Hizb tahir in Australia On an important conversation that needs to be had A reminder of sorts, but also a testament To the will and the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And how in many ways Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala soothes the hearts Invigorates the minds, re-energizes the body, um, by providing constant reminders of his Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's strength, his omnipotence, um, and how life as a whole follows a preordained path um, which will never, which we can never ever deviate from. COVID-19 has exposed so much of the world so much of the enemies of Islam, so much of the Western world, its limitations, um, the bankruptcy of its ways of life, um, its economic limitations, uh, the devastation that has wreaked upon its societies and how various events have been catalyzed by this pandemic in a way that ultimately will change the course of the world after it. Um, In this country, uh, Australia has recognised very quickly um, that the post-COVID world is going to be a very different world and Australia is preparing itself accordingly and it announced at a time when um, it did not have the money to pay um, the, the difficulties... Um, and and pay for the difficulties and the challenges that Australia faced, um, whether it's to do with job losses or businesses closing, or the general devastation that's been wreaked upon society, the health bill, um, in many ways. Um, but proposed an enormous measure in response of that, but didn't necessarily have the money for it. And we'll have to borrow, and of course we'll be repaid um, through significant tax increases in years to come. And in this time. Um, Australia still announced um, an enormous increase in its defence budgets um, because it recognises the post-COVID world is going to be a very different world and it needs to immediately embark upon a policy of um, self-reliance um, that it's role traditionally since post-World War II as the Deputy Sheriff of America in the Asia-Pacific is coming to an end and it's something that has been recognised for quite a significant period of time. By policymakers in this country. Um, but COVID has catalyzed um, the, these developments and have fast forwarded these developments um, and announced a huge increase to its defense budget of the range of $270 or so billion. dollars. Um, and for Australia, that's not a small pocket of change. Um, and if Australia is struggling to um, cover the cost of uh, workers who have been devastated by COVID, um, would struggle with the cost of health care. Um, and in many ways, we have been fortunate not to taste the, the worst of what COVID has to offer in this country. Um, but in, even in that sense, um, uh, health uh, health finances are under significant strain. Um, and God forbid, if we were to taste the worst of what COVID has to offer in this country, um, there would be very little confidence in Australia's ability to finance the, the response needed uh, to it. But even in this light, still, they've magically found two hundred an additional $270 billion, and this is, in fact, an additional. So it's not as if this is the budget, Australia's defence budget. Uh, but notwithstanding, Australia's made very significant choices, as will every other country, um, faced with a crisis that's wreaked economic devastation, amongst other things, Australia has prioritised its security interests. Um, and there is a reason for that. And I suspect every country will aim to do the same um, if they have the financial capacity to do so. And that's a very big if. Um, in many ways, Australia has always been described as the lucky country. And in many ways, it absolutely is. Um, primarily for the simple fact that it's living off a gold mine. Um, all the natural resources in this country, in the arable land, Um, an enormous agricultural industry that's born out of that. Um, In many ways, we've been deeply privileged um, and have been able to respond to global crises in ways that other countries don't have the luxury to. Um, Europe is a prime example of that, and and America, despite its riches, is another clear example of that, uh, where they simply are not coping. They don't have the capacity to respond in any meaningful sense. Um, And this crisis, this pandemic has wreaked absolute havoc. Now, given all of this, there are some serious questions at play here. As a Muslim, I think for many years, you know, we would think for many years that we've lived under the yoke of colonialism. We are still a product of that, um, despite its changing forms over time. Um, Many of us have held the view that Uh, The stranglehold of the kufrad over us is so strong to the extent that uh, we become defeated, um, refusing to believe um, out of this defeatism that circumstances can be changed through our hands. Uh, Whilst we believe in the power and the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have difficulty in uh, materializing this conceptualization um, and this is reflected in how we inform our activism or in many ways and in many circles run away from this form of activism. What colonialism has brought to the Muslim world and continues to, to bring in the Muslim world is nothing short of complete and utter devastation in every conceivable way on every single level, economic, political, cultural Uh, educational, judicial, in every sense of the word. Uh, But circumstances don't remain the same. Uh, They've never remained the same for any extended period of time, and even in the Muslim history we understand, despite the greatness of the Islamic expansion and the greatness of the civilization that was born out of that, even our time came to an end. Um, And along the way we were tested in very significant ways. Um, and there is a reason for all of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests us against one another And we know that um, As one of our foundational beliefs in Islam How our iman Will constantly be tested And our position in front of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala will always be tested As individuals and as an ummah And as previous generations were tested uh, If they responded In a manner that is befitting Then they would uh, acquire the pleasure Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And if they rejected what was brought by the Prophets. May Allah be pleased with them all. Um, if they deviated after the passing of Prophets, then of course history tells us that the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends upon us. So those who ascribe to the, uh, to the revelation and hold on to it um, will be rewarded with the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this will be manifested in the worldly life and in the afterlife and those who turn their back or become negligent, which was our case, um, negligent of their responsibilities, negligent in the implementation of their deen, uh, negligent in responding to the trials that are, uh, that are thrown at them, negligent in the efforts of the kuffar to undermine them, to occupy them. Uh, these are not small tales, and our history is replete with them, and there are important lessons for that. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in many many places, in one place in Surah Al-A'raf I believe kulli ummatin ajala. For every nation, for every people there is a time appointed. And this concept of ajal applies to us as individuals, as mere mortals, and applies to us as nations and civilizations. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of this point that every single nation, every single people will have a term that is fixed and that is appointed. Um, like ourselves as, as individuals, we'll, we will be granted life at one point and that life will be taken away from us. And as civilizations, we will come to birth, uh, we will be allowed to grow and if circumstances um, change accordingly, uh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will see to, see to our death. And the ummah experience this as much as those who, who, who don't or have never accepted the revelation. And that's an important reminder, and it's a scary one. But at the same time, we should take it as a mode of confidence. It should rekindle our spirit, because des- despite the difficulty of the circumstances we face as an ummah, and have faced for some considerable time, centuries in fact, we should be under no illusion that these poor circumstances will remain forever or that there genuinely is no hope no respite or that change could never really happen these ideas cannot enter the mind of any muslim who believes firmly in the power and the will of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in the infinite justice that he subhanahu wa ta'ala will will instruct the post covid world that is about to emerge is going to be radically different uh, to the world that existed before it. Now, there are many fault lines uh, that for a long time have been revealing themselves, have been have, be- have been becoming much more apparent. Um, certain political realities in the world um, force things to go faster and in some cases have the opposite effect. Uh, but one of the largest and most significant considerations for us as Muslims is how not just the fact that the West had successfully occupied the entirety of the Muslim world and successfully remodeled it um, in a way that serves the interests of the West, but the West was successful in imposing itself not just over the Muslim world, but the entire world, Um, and they erected international architecture uh, that did the bidding of these colonialist states, um, the UN, the IMF, the World Bank and other institutions uh, but for a long time had been tested because the circumstances which gave birth to these institutions don't necessarily exist in the same way or to the same degree um, as they did at the time of their establishment. So they serve their purpose but they are no longer serving their purpose and you see this very clearly with the abandonment of these institutions by the very countries that established them, uh, the antagonism that we see in many instances, uh, for instance, at the UN between America and Europe, or between America and China, um, and, and other dynamics that play there. Uh, the the I can't even say gradual withdrawal, but the the very direct and violent withdrawal of America from the UN, from its bodies, uh, from the very concept of international law, um, these are not insignificant steps. America withdrawing its funding for the WHO in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic is not a small development. Uh, America refusing uh, to accept the legitimacy of the International Criminal Court, for instance, is not an insignificant step. Uh, the UN, uh, Europe proposing, primarily through Germany and France, of an alternative to NATO, of a of an exclusively European military force, and initiating the nascent steps to make that a reality is not an insignificant step. The emergence of China as a major player in the world again is not an insignificant step. Uh, the the ability of other countries, led by China, to push alternative currencies to the US dollar. Again, not an insignificant development. The emergence of cryptocurrencies, not an insignificant development. What we are witnessing and what will accelerate in a post-COVID world is not just the fracturing of the international institutions with which we are mostly familiar, but we are witnessing, we will witness the... The, the destruction of those institutions brought about through their neglect and in some cases outright hostility towards. And of course, in many instances, what would happen traditionally is that rival international institutions would emerge to replace the old ones. But we live in a time and a place where no country on the face of this earth today has that luxury enjoy such a status and position of strength in the world such that they could possibly impose that. And the idea of like-minded states today emerging uh, cooperatively to establish uh, what will follow from the UN, uh, what will follow from the IMF, simply does not exist in the geopolitical world of today, and it certainly won't exist in a post-COVID world. The world as we know it has gone from a period of, you get, you know, after the um, the destruction of the USSR, from a unilateral American-led world uh, to a bilateral world between America and China um, to a multilateral world, and this is slowly fracturing even further. Um the concept of internationalism, of globalisation, of international law is broken not just from a political point of view, but from an ideological point of view. Uh, there's very little appetite to pursue such, a, such an agenda, an ideological agenda today. It's every man for themselves, every country for themselves. And whilst that has always been the case with international bodies masking... Um, colonial efforts by the countries that founded them. Everything is in the open today. It's open conflict, open warfare. There are no pretenses. The ideological imperative that drove international intervention in the past simply do not exist today. There is no way America can say to the world today anymore that it demands peaceful reactions to protests in any country in the world or that it must prioritise the health and safety of a country's citizens. It simply cannot sustain these arguments when it has so spectacularly backfired in its own country. Now, America and the West in general has always been a a set of contradictions. What they espouse in theory is not what they practice in reality, and this is no more evident than the experiences in the third world, including the Muslim world. But when things backfire so drastically, so spectacularly in your own country, this has enormous implications from many angles. First of all, in in a, in a very simple way, it destroys the people's confidence in those very principles. And when I say people, I don't mean the rest of the world looking into America because that was gone a long time ago. The rest of the world understands the reality of American intervention, understands the reality of UN intervention and European intervention. But Americans are staring at each other when their country is is literally on fire, when millions go without food or shelter, uh, when countless hundreds of thousands are dying through a pandemic that the, the president of the country refuses to take seriously. And you see divisions on every level, whether it's around race, whether it's around class, whether it's around questions of sovereignty, the disagreements, the open disagreements between various levels of government is unprecedented on this scale. Um, and so this has an immediate impact on people's confidence in what America is supposed to represent, in what these ideals are supposed to represent. And you have, and not just a gradual, but immediate destruction in this, in this level of confidence, that is going to chip or not just chip away, but eat away at the core of what America is supposed to represent to Americans. And this will weaken it significantly from within, from another angle. Politically, um, how you can rebuild the bridges that have just been blasted open, that have always been there from the from the beginning, from inception, but have always been able to be taped over, to be masked over, these are not small, uh, these are, are not insignificant developments. What we're witnessing is the fraction of a country and this is replicated in many ways in other countries, in Europe and, and in other places the fraction of a country to a point where it would be impossible to tape over those fractures again, and you go to witness its fragmentation in ways that none of us could have previously imagined at a rate none of us could have previously imagined. And the implication, of course, is that the world at one point was dominated by global ideals, by global institutions um, that imposed themselves globally for the benefit of of its masters. And yet this is not going to be a reality anymore in a post-COVID world. So the stranglehold that traditionally America and Europe held over the rest of the world is going to wither away. Uh, it simply will cease to exist at some point. You will see it's fraction, and eventually it's dismemberment. And there is no alternative that can emerge at any um, immediate point in, in in the future. There is no state that has the capacity to replace what previously existed. And there is no aggregation of states that could come together for that same purpose. That the world is significantly more fractured in ways that there is no conceivable way to overcome that. And this is being played out inside countries and being played out between countries. And the implication for us as an ummah is that traditionally those countries and institutions that were able to impose themselves over us no longer will have the capacity to do so. And there will exist, there will be created a vacuum within the Muslim world uh, that for some period of time no one will be able to fill you've seen we've all witnessed the uh, the return of various warships that were previously stationed in the middle east uh, battalions that no longer could remain Um, and this is happening not just because of covid itself but was started to happen a long time before it's purely for financial reasons or political reasons or simply military reasons when Afghanistan is described as the graveyard of empires and this is being accepted and admitted to even by American policy including Trump himself. Um, it, it burnt America to an extent that no previous conflict had and it replicated itself with America's experiences in Iraq and uh, the experiences of what we all witnessed in Syria and continue to witness in Syria, and this by no measure um, is an indication that things are going to die down anytime soon, but those conflicts revealed, and in the, in the Arab uprisings in general, revealed um, underlying deficiencies which simply could not be overcome. America and the international community could not enter take over let alone stabilize afghanistan they could not create uh, they could not refashion iraq into a into democratic form as a beacon for the rest of the middle east the exact opposite happened Uh, syria exposed every traitor in the muslim world and exposed openly the enemies of islam in ways that no previous conflict had because the issues were so clear in syria and this plays out in other, in other instances on, on other levels in other Arab countries. And so we have the emergence of a set of conditions where the stranglehold of those that traditionally possessed it over us will no longer be in existence. And then you have a period of, rel, of a power vacuum that will emerge, which for, for, for some time, no one knows who can step into it. And so when you find America withdrawing, when you find Europe withdrawing, when you find various states, even China now prioritizing its own personal interests, even though it presented itself globally for economic purposes, those things have been put on the shelf. The grand design, the grand ambitions, the arrogance with which they all spoke have come to a grinding halt. No one is, you know, during this this entire crisis... No one was, was referring to the UN. No one's referring to international bodies. No one's referring to international law. Every country turned its back on everything it, it sought to establish in the last century or more. Borders went up. The shutters went up. All of a sudden it became about myself, myself, myself. America unashamedly prioritized its own, its own condition over the rest of the world. Turned its back on the world. And every country followed suit. Um, those that traditionally would rely on America, would rely on Europe, would rely on China, couldn't anymore, uh, for the simple fact that they did not have the capacity to offer that assistance, um, even if it comes, even if it comes under that guise. And so, in a way, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is telling us, there are circumstances, conditions, which are beyond us, whilst we put our effort, and we should not at any point trivialise or discount the efforts of the last decades in the Muslim world and how we as an almost, successfully challenged uh, what colonialism represented, what secularism represented, everything they, they brought to the Muslim world, how that was defeated ideologically, um, how the, the rulers in the Muslim world were exposed and laid bare and how these conflicts exposed them even more and turned the people against them even more and how the, the, one of the primary ideas behind American intervention in Iraq and in other places is because they recognize and everyone recognized the frailty of Muslim rulers in the Muslim world um, and the thrones that they sit on, that they needed to reintroduce themselves militarily because they couldn't rely on them anymore politically. Um, these are no small developments and now America is not in a position to do that. Europe is not in a position to do that. China does not have the appetite or the ambition to to do that. Um, and the Arab rulers now are exposed and left alone. Now this is, of course, a relative discussion. It's not as if tomorrow everything is going to crumble. But the the, the, the enormous changes that we are witnessing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us, despite our doubts, despite our defeatism, despite the cries and the tears and the pain and despite the blackness of the vision in front of us, that we could not envision how these circumstances will change, how America can be defeated, how Europe can be, can be forced to withdraw from the Muslim world, how China can be pushed back you know, on the other side of the Great Wall. All of these enormous questions, how can we rid ourselves from the stranglehold of the IMF and the World Bank and the economic programs that it imposes on us, that starves us and impoverishes us, Kills the countries how, is it, how would it be possible All of these great big existential questions Now being laid bare In front of us And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us Do your work, do your effort And nothing stays the same Nothing stays the same When the Prophet Sallallahu alayhi wa Performed the hijrah We have to understand That arguably the Hijrah occurred at a time when the Prophet ﷺ and all the companions, the Muslims in general, were at the historically weakest point. This is not a small thing. That the Quraysh went from ignoring the Prophet ﷺ to trivializing the Prophet ﷺ, to inventing lies about the Prophet ﷺ. To engage in material responses to the Prophet ﷺ To the extent that in the end they, couldn't, they could not stand in the face of the Dawah And the expansion of the Islamic call That they all decided What did they decide? They decided They took a historical decision Collectively To do something they never have done before Which was to kill one of their own And everyone had to be in on it Because everyone had to share the the, the responsibility of that monumental decision. But that was ultimately the nail in their own coffin without them realizing at the time. That you go past certain points in your life as a nation, which you cannot come back from. You cross certain lines, it becomes an existential mistake. And that happened with the Quraysh, as it happened with America in Iraq and Afghanistan as it happened historically with Britain when it was forced out of the Muslim world under American orders. Uh, the USSR, same place, uh, same, uh, same situation. There are multiple instances of this where when a nation goes beyond a certain point, it excel- initi- not just ex- initiates, but ex- rapidly accelerates its own decline. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean when they contravene their own principles, because they have no principles. And the West has no principles apart from pragmatism. They'll push democracy and dictatorship at the same time, and they'll go to sleep very comfortably. As long as their interests are maintained, they don't care how it's maintained. The Quraysh still the same. They are the peak of contradiction. But even they had certain standards which they would impose upon themselves, and they contravened even that, and that was the deathbed for them. And, of course, the Hijra happened soon after that, and the rest was history. But after the Hijra, what do we learn? That from a small place, um, something significant can emerge, despite the inability of anyone at the time, or even historically now, in hindsight, could rationalize how that was even possible. Nobody could rationalize that. Materially, everything was against them. Uh, numbers was completely against them economic inequality was completely against them on every on every material question the muslims were uh, you would have to conclude the muslims had no ability material ability to affect the change that ultimately they affected and so to us today you think we are surrounded we are cornered uh, we are weak, we are divided, we are, are, are and we can list a hundred things, and a hundred percent they are all right, all of them. But as a Muslim, our calculations are not purely materialistic. When Allah SWT reminds us, kulli ummatin ajala, for every nation, there is a time fixed that is appointed, nothing is going to stay the same. But you know what also happened with the Quraysh, uh, with the, with what happened after Hijrah? Who were busy with themselves for a significant period of time before the emergence of, of, of Islam in Arabia? Who were so busy with themselves that they ultimately weakened each other and created what? Created a power vacuum that would allow the Muslims to flourish beyond the Arabian Peninsula, the Romans and the Persians. Stop on this point for a minute. And ask yourself, when two the two great superpowers of the time were locked in existential conflict that, were, that had weakened themselves and they were busy internally and externally, and this proceeded for a significant period of time prior to this uh, the emergence of Islam in Arabia, what is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala telling us with this? That whenever we think the days are completely dark ahead of us. No. Whenever we think things are impossible. No. Whenever we think it's entirely inconceivable, entirely impractical, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying no. That they were so busy amongst themselves that they won, they did not even take the Muslims seriously. A bunch of desert Bedouins are going to rival superpowers. And how many times have the Kuffar belittled the Muslims today in the same way? And yet, ironically, uh, the reality is they spend every effort and every night trying to, uh, thinking about and trying to combat uh, the reemergence emergence of Islam and Muslims. But both the Persians and the Romans were preoccupied, were weary, were, tight, were broken, uh, were in a period of significant decline. And under those circumstances, Islam emerged in Arabia. And once we dealt with the threat of the Quraysh, we were we had a, an ability to expand immediately upon the frontiers of both empires and we did that successfully and within a very short period of time history had changed so significantly that we dealt ultimately what would result uh, what would cause the deathbed of both the Persian and the Rome and the Byzantines at that time. these aren't no these aren't small developments these aren't just the whimsical fantasies of an idologue who's just hoping and wishing for the best. No, these are Muslims who are doing what is required of them, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked of them, who are preparing themselves in every way, materially, financially, militarily, spiritually, in every way, and then leaving the rest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not allowing any room for doubt, for defeatism, um for, for contradictions, uh, for weakness, uh, for hypocrisy, nothing like that. This question of our belief is not an insignificant one. It is ultimately what propels us to go out in the first place. It's what propels us to stand up in the first place. Without it, what are we? As if the Quraysh would allow the Muslims to acquire any power to emerge as a rival power. As if the Kufar today would allow us to establish a certain power, elements of power to rival them never going to happen, never has happened, and yet we see it play out in front of us that the world is becoming a lot smaller, a lot more fractured, even in this country. For a long time, Australia has been telling us Muslims that we should consider ourselves Australian first, before put the Australian before Muslim. And they want us to accept this political identity um, and ensure that it prioritises itself over our Islamic identity. And what happens as soon as there's an outbreak, a second outbreak in Victoria? What happens? Where did this conception of Australianness go overnight? We're either in this together or we're not. All of a sudden, now we are localizing the issue. And you're Victorian now. You're Victorian, and now I'm New South. Wales. I'm from New South Wales. You're from Melbourne, and I'm from Sydney. What happened just a little while ago? You're telling us we're all Australian here. And a little while ago, they're telling us we're all global citizens. And yet every country has turned its back on those conceptions. And this plays out inside the country and between countries. Further than that, things become even more localised. It's not the whole of Victoria. There are parts of Victoria, parts of Melbourne, that are dealt with much more significantly, much more harshly than the rest. This is no big news. This has been happening since the... Since the white men arrived on this on, on on these shores, but it plays out again. And what is being sold to us is not what is being played to us. And so we need to appreciate that politically speaking, the arguments that we are being asked to absorb, to ascribe to, the beliefs we are asked to to, to assume have no grounding in reality. And I want to mention this point because, if we allow our defeatism to overtake us um, and we, 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 we question or have doubt over when or how uh, change will come or when or how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will introduce change and that defeatism becomes so overwhelming in our minds that we start to think in terms other than Islam. We start to become pragmatic. We start to become defeated. We start to become compromising. And we start telling ourselves, you know what? It might actually be more important for us to regard ourselves as Australian than it is to regard ourselves as part of this this fantastical conception of Ummah as if it has no grounding in reality, contemporarily or historically. Um, But what happens when this conception Becomes abandoned overnight. You know, imagine for a moment, for a long time in Indonesia, for instance, they were told, Muslims in Indonesia were told, take your identity primarily as Indonesian. And then that country becomes dismembered. And in greater Syria, uh, before the emergence of Lebanon and Syria as a country, take that as your identity. And then that becomes dismembered. And for a long time, Iraq and Arab nationalism intertwined. And post-war invasion, now you are the Kurds, now you are the Shia, now you are the Sunni. And this plays out again and again. In Yemen, how many times have we seen the unification and its dismemberant, dismemberment? North Yemen, South, East, West, various competing capitals. You know, And the funny part, of course, is that we've been asked to give our primary loyalty to a form of identification that ultimately is flimsical in nature, is temporary. In the UK, calls for independence. The idea of the European Union, farcical, every country wants to bail. For a long time, we are European Muslims. All of a sudden, the con- this concept of European identity became smashed inside Europe, calls for Scottish independence, Welsh independence. Uh, the, the ever going, ongoing conflict in, in Ireland, What is this conception of British anymore? For a long time, we're going to build our lives, our conceptions of ourselves, our political activism on that basis, and that basis can change at any moment. It has no grounding in reality. It is temporary in nature. These countries are born and they die. They grow and they fall. Why would I invest myself? And why would we as Numa invest ourselves in a political conception that ultimately is flimsical? is temporary, has no reality to it. And the saddest part, of course, is that we take that over that one single thing, which is permanent, which is transcendent, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, will never change, always be in existence. And yet we replace the greatest with something so, so belittling in, uh, in comparison to it. These are the circumstances we face. We are in a very significant critical phase in the world. Uh, we are in a period of, of rapidly shifting dynamics. Um, we are going to witness the emergence of huge political vacuums in so many places in, in, in the world, especially in the Muslim world. Um, we are going to witness the fracturing of the world in ways we never imagined. Um, the North versus the South in America, always there. The Blacks versus the Whites, always going to be there. Uh, The states versus the federal, always going to be there. And this is going to become much more intense when push comes to shove in their own backyard. It's one thing to witness a conflict in some foreign land and easily dehumanize that and say, that's not my issue. Let a million die. Let a few million die. It's not me. But when it happens in your own country and you're forced to choose between food or health care, between health care or employment, and this becomes a reality not just for blacks or minorities in America but becomes a, a, a stark reality for even whites in America. And this conception of my relationship with the state and it, it being a provider for me, this is not an insignificant development. That you know, America and Europe could commit the atrocities they could for as long as they did in so many places around the world because ultimately it was accepted by their own people because they provided for them. The rest of the world, they could deprive it. But when push comes to shove in their own countries, they will not have the ability to overcome that, um, not politically, not ideologically, not financially. And their ability to project themselves globally will be non-existent. And we are seeing the rapid movement towards that new world with our own eyes. And so the conditions exist in the Muslim world today as they existed at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. You are seeing seismic changes. But remember, we are not just me witnesses from the sidelines. We are not just observers. It is the response of the Muslim to colonialism. It is the response of the Muslims to to what the Kuffar brought to our lands politically, culturally, economically that has caused this chaos um, has caused the West to to have sleepless nights in its own capitals. The planning day and night of how to prevent the re-establishment of Islam, the re-emergence of the Khilafah, how to keep the Ummah divided, how to continually foster and develop greater fracturing and new identities and create new flags and new colors and new borders, the greater Middle East, the former Middle East, whatever country in whatever way, in whatever policy designed to keep us down, but we're up. Whilst the the game is still going on, the fight is still going on, but we're up. But for a long time, we were on the floor and their their boots were over us. But this is not the reality of the Muslim world today. We are up and we're fighting, standing up, and it's only a matter of time before we throw the sucker punch. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making that day Ever closer for us, making that a reality for us. And we witness that with our own eyes. Take this as a lesson. Take this as a reminder that despite all our calculations, despite all the provocations, despite all that we witness of the world, despite all the protestations, the profession, the professions of greatness, of universality, of 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 what the West has offered us and what the we have experienced with the West. None of it counts for naught when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decided something different. These are the days in which we live, a period which no in no nation, no generation in the history of the ummah had the, the privilege not just of witnessing but being a part of. We, are, we exist at a time when we have in our hands now the ability to create a set of conditions that no one in the history of Islam had created except the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is our challenge, this is our time, and this is our duty. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make that a reality through our hands. Inshallah. Barakallahu alaykum. wa barakatuh.